everyone. I'm Laura Grunler. And I'm Matt Grunler. And today on K-12 Art Chat, the podcast, we're going to be talking with Adam Sines about creative writing to increase emotional intelligence. I, I could not be more thrilled and absolutely honored and thankful mm-hmm. to have our guest today. Adam Sines is... Um, uh, professor, PhD, um, near us in, in College Station, Texas, and I have had the privilege of listening, and I think you have too, to have some to of you. Adam's um, uh, professional learning his, topics and very motivational. And I'm liking him even more. At like, the I just saw him in suit when I first met him, but now now I'm seeing this this really casual side of him <laughs> and the stuff that's in his studio. I'm just like, oh my gosh. He really, I think, is an art person at heart. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Adam, thank you for being here. Can you introduce yourself to, to the audience and just give us a little bit about your story? You're amazing. Well, thanks so much. Uh, what an honor for me and a delight to be with you. Um, yeah, at my core, you know, I, I'm a liberal arts guy. My undergraduate degree is in English, and I've always just had this creative flair um, going all the way back to when I was a kid. Uh, drawing, uh, I'm a musician. Um, I like to write really bad poetry. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, arts have been with me, you know, from the beginning. Now, I mean, kind of um, in my adult world, I work as a psychologist in multiple arenas. I have an outpatient clinic in College Station. Um, I'm uh, a supervising psychologist uh, at the medical school, uh, A&M Medical School, and um, I consult, I write books. I mean, I do a lot of different things, but uh, what the, the most, um, the funnest part for me of um, of doing all that I do as a psychologist is the creative element in it all. And there's a lot of creativity in psychology, believe it or not. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> well, again, so thrilled and, and just, I can't believe you said yes to us and our <laughs> teachers, um, you know, we a random, a random really DM. I think I actually just messaged you on Twitter, not even DM and said, can, yeah. can you visit with us? And you yeah. were, you're so gracious. Yeah. And I think what resonates with us as art educators is a lot about your story. And, mm. and quite honestly, the topic that you hosted on the chat, you know, it, it, the idea of creative writing, increasing emotional intelligence, but for us also just the arts increasing emotional intelligence. Yeah. Mm just profound for us but mm. your very first question was about your journey as a child yeah. and adolescent and how creativity was part of that process mm-hmm. and I've I've had the honor of hearing your story a little bit can you answer that question for the audience yeah absolutely you know um I had a pretty rough childhood my my dad left when I was eight or so and um this was back in the late 70s and single parent homes weren't nearly that common there was a lot of stigma around it, and, and I felt a lot of shame, uh, a lot of embarrassment. And, um, you know, we, my mom was, uh, you know, a single parent mom. She didn't have a college degree. She was working as a bank teller, making minimum wage, uh, you know, so we didn't have a lot. Um, and it was just really stressful, really stressful. And by the time I was in, in sixth grade, I was using drugs to kind of self medicate. And um, getting in trouble and having run-ins with the law, and it was just, it was not a good life. And I remember in sixth grade, you know, we, we at the beginning of sixth grade, uh, we got a list of school supplies that we needed. And um, I got the wrong 
list. I think I got seventh grade instead of sixth grade and seventh graders needed notebooks for every class. You know, it's like, I don't know that six notebook spiral notebooks, you know? And so my mom got that. And then at the beginning of the year, I realized like, Oh, that's not my list. I don't need seven notebooks or six spiral notebooks. So the right thing to do would have been to go back to my mom and say, Hey, I don't need these. We can get our money back. But I was like, man, screw that. I'm keeping them. So <laughs> So I kept them. And, and then I remember like opening that first spiral, like, well, man, what am I going to do with this? You know? So I drew a picture and then on the next page, um, I remember I wrote a poem and then I just started getting into it. And man, by the end of that journal, um, I, I was using that as, as I was using expression in that journal as my therapy tool, you know, back when, you know, nobody was talking about emotional intelligence or mental illness or count. I mean, none of that was like language, you know? And, um, and thank God for, for drawing and for writing and for writing stories and for writing poems and just journal entries. Um, you know, I always say that, that between the, the two covers of my journal, that was my safest place in the world. So all the way back in sixth grade, I, um, I, I learned to use journaling as a therapy tool. And I mean, I uh, still do today. I, I, um, I keep a journal now and, and when, when I need to sort my inner world, I do it in a journal. That's awesome well I, I, yeah go ahead and tell your <laughs> i mean because we're huge journal people as well oh, yeah. and cool i i think but ours probably look slightly different oh absolutely <laughs> i mean our you know i'm thinking i'm thinking of mine and i know that you know laura laura kind of helped facilitate the the start of my journaling yeah journey if you will and um you know your one of your questions that i kept looking at when you were mentioning you know pre that whole SEL movement and all that. Yeah. Knowing the the question was knowing the interest clinically in social emotional learning, is there a connection between ESL, ESL? ESL oh my gosh. Oh, SEL. SEL. A little and dyslexia. Creativity. Um. And you know, I'm just I, I know what your answer would be, but I would just like to hear what your answer would be. Yeah, you know, when I think about SEL, social emotional learning, the, there are five components really self awareness, self regulation, empathy, which is other awareness, social skills, which is connecting with others, and then effective decision making. So, when the first four are in place, we make the best decisions in our life, we live our best life. Mm-hmm. Emotional intelligence just drives peak performance, in my opinion. And I work with, with student athletes at AM all the time on this. So, you, you look at those first two self awareness and self regulation. I think creativity and art. Um, just so lends itself well to that. You know, I, I think about um, the um, emotion that I was able to be aware of through writing, you know, just writing. Uh, I feel angry. I feel sad. I remember there, there was an entry in, in this journal right here, actually. This, this is a journal that from my senior year in high school back in the 30s, you know, and um, it wasn't in the 30s. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wait a minute. I, was say, I wasn't saying the year that was nice. I was just saying, you said, this is, you know, my journal entry from a long time ago. And I was like, nice. yeah. I was, it wasn't the fact that it was. I'm, I'm you look really good, by the I way. Do. I do. Yeah, I'm you look really great. You know, and I'm killing it. But um, <laughs> I remember, though, reading through these journals, in some ways, it breaks my heart. Like, I remember one, one entry in my senior year just said, there's darkness all around. There's just darkness all around. It won't go away. And I was dealing with deep, deep depression back then. And, um, you know, I'm just so grateful that the, the, the journal and that writing experience was a place where I could identify my feelings and express them um, in a way that was adaptive, that didn't involve violence or aggression or anything like that. You know, when, when I think about kids that, 
that are you know committing acts of even like microaggression and and even gun violence in schools mm-hmm. people are, are asking like what's the common element is it socioeconomics is it mental illness is it family structure is it exposure to video games i'll tell you what the common element is is that every person who commits an act of aggression every person lacks emotional intelligence. They lack the ability to identify a feeling and then express it appropriately. I mean, that's what it boils down to. And so creativity and art were were that for me. It gave me a format to enter my emotions, to experience my emotion, um, and then to express my emotion in a way that was like not hurtful to anyone. So in my mind, that's sort of the relationship between SEL and creativity and arts and writing. I, you know, I I loved one of the other questions, it was like right in the middle of the whole conversation of, mm-hmm. the, of the chat. Um, you know, when you were talking about, one, you were talking about the transition of, you know, the, the, the masculine and the feminine and, mm-hmm. and how you said from the Eastern perspective, we say that the creative part of the brain is associated with feminine energy. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a man, as a male, I, you know, does that feel unnatural um and how do we kind of break these traditional gender roles and promote more of just a whole human being rather than you know it's only male or it's only female or how do we how do we really help with that so Uh, yeah i you know i think about what what what's happening collectively in the collective conversation academically around women in stem uh, fields and I love that that everybody's saying, "Hey, hey, girls! Like, really, math is a, it's an option for you. You can do this. You're capable." You know, I, I absolutely love that. The parallel conversation is, "Hey, guys, art's okay. You know, if you're mm-hmm. a feely type, that's great. You know, if you want to express your emotions, that's fine, guys. It's okay to do that." You know, and I would I would love to see us have that same conversation um, for men as well. I mean, we're uh, like I said in the chat. You know, um, for me anyway, creativity is directly linked to emotion you know when those emotions come up it's fuel it's energy and then that's what you know we call it a muse or inspiration and that's what drives a drawing or a poem or a song or a guitar piece or whatever it might be um and and that stuff flows when we're young across the you know boys and girls they just you just flow in that as a child Um, but as you get older especially if you're a boy you're taught to shut that off you know boys Mm -hmm. don't cry um and and you get real pejorative language don't be a sissy you know suck it up get over it and um and and men are shamed for having feelings and so that whole creative thing gets squashed so yeah it's hard you know um uh, even even now i mean i feel like i'm fairly secure as an adult and i know who i am (laughs) Um, but even now, it's hard for me to let my feel, myself feel safe enough to enter into my emotion, my emotion, number one, and then number two, create something expressively to demonstrate my emotion. It takes a lot of vulnerability, and, and men, collectively speaking, just aren't, aren't skilled at it. Which is, oh, I just have to bring this up, and I, I would have to go back and look at the chat, but I loved that there was one art teacher that chimed in and said, well, that's that's interesting because if you look at art history mm-hmm. up until recently, quite honestly, it's all men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's so interesting. And, and there was a time period where we did, you know, really, you know, honor men for being yeah. the, the great artists of our time and those kinds yeah. of things. And, but uh, uh, exactly what you said, I, I have been saying this and people that listen to the podcast know that I as the art coordinator have struggled with going into classrooms and seeing 
80% girls and 20% boys. And that, that's just, and I do think that STEM, you know, really pushes a male kind of, and we don't do that in the arts. And, but at the same time, I feel like we don't push gender. I mean, I don't know when we're recruiting, I don't know that we're pushing a gender prerogative about that. (laughs) We just want kids to come in and be themselves. Yeah. So I don't know. I thought that was a really great thought provoking question. And there was a lot of good conversation around it. Mm. I thought a lot more about the journaling in terms of the emotional side of it. When you ask the question, what suggestions would you offer a teacher who wants to incorporate writing journaling as a tool for students expression? And it can be tricky. And I wanted to hear your perspective on this because Matt and I, um, in our curriculum, we really promote um, visual journaling for our art students, but there are some tricky elements to that because when things are expressed that are concerning or, you know, how do you handle that? And so what tips and ideas would you give teachers? So is, is the question sort of like, what if I open a can of worms and I find yes. it in a journal? Yes, that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'd say great. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we. Are. It's really intimidating, you know, because it's sort of like I'm not a surgeon, and I don't want to put a kid on a table. And what if I open him up, and you know, gosh, what have I done? And I'm going to damage this kid, and you know, who knows, right? And and so I, I totally understand the the fear. Um, yes, and and I appreciate that uh, teachers have that level of awareness to realize like this isn't something that you enter into lightly, you know, Um, on the one hand, on the other hand, it's like I say, um, you don't have to be a thoracic surgeon to perform CPR and sometimes CPR can save a person's life, you know, which is why, you know, as a psychologist, when, when we work with school districts and we implement our SEL curricula, we start with adult SEL, with adults understanding how to be aware of their world, their personality, their stress, and how to regulate their their stress and their personality so that they can become a secure base for the kids in the classroom, right? I, I always say, you know, I think the best tier one intervention for every kid is, is a healthy, stable adult in, in, mm-hmm. in every classroom. So with that in mind, you know, you, you have a basic level of training as a teacher. And so let's say that you say, Hey, everybody, I want you to draw me a picture. Just draw anger for me. And you're thinking like, oh, gosh, you know, that's a, and, and so somebody, some kid, let's say, draws a picture with uh, you know, excessive violence and gore. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, what's going on here? Well, then you just ask questions. You just get curious about it. You don't get judgmental. You don't get you don't freak out. But you just you just say, hey, I'm curious about your drawing. Help me understand what's going on here. And then you engage a conversation. And then they may say, I don't want to talk about it. OK, they may say, um, well, I hate the world and I want to shoot the world up. Ah, ding, 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 right? Or they may just say, I just feel angry, man. This reminds me of a movie I saw where this character was angry and I'm just drawing that. Well, okay, that's nothing. But if you get the ding, 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 you say, okay, well, good. Thank you so much for trusting me and thank you for telling me. And then you let a counselor know, you know, that's your only job as a teacher is just to let let, let somebody know who is qualified to deal with it. So I, I would rather this, I would rather kids express themselves through art us knowing that as adults, we're taking a risk because God, what, what if we open a can of worms? Well, I w- again, I would rather open the can of worms and then let the worm experts deal with the worms than just say, oh my gosh, you know, that's too threatening for me. I'm, I'm not a worm person. I'm not going to open the, you know, like living with our, our head in the proverbial sand, I don't think is a, an effective intervention. And, and I would say that the more sort of cans of worms that we open, 
the the more that just talking about mental health becomes part of our culture, the, the mm-hmm. less stigma there is, you know, um, the less fear there is. So it's it's a sort of a collective motor plan for us in education that we're not comfortable with. But think about like the first time we did any, the first time you did a layup, the first time you drove a car, you know, the first time you tried to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, there was nothing elegant or graceful about it. But you don't say like, I tried to drive a car once and God, that didn't go well. So I'm not going to do that again. You just, you keep going and you keep going, you know? So I, I think that, you know, like I, I understand a teacher's fear to want to open a can of worms. And then I would also say those cans need to be open, number one. And number two, no one's expecting a teacher uh, to, to be qualified to, to uh, navigate all of that. There, there are people in the district that can help. It's fabulous. And I think mm-hmm. that it's even more essential right now as yeah. kids have gone through this I think we're starting to see the effects of a year of the pandemic and so much more crisis than just the pandemic. I mean, the the things that are on on television, the violence on television, the shootings that are happening now, the the, you know, the murders of innocent um, black Americans, you know, there's just a lot that kids are trying to process and we have to give them an outlet to process it. And I think that if we're ignoring it, then we're not doing them any service. But yeah. there is a fear for teachers. I, 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 I'm, th- I'm glad you said that. And I, I appreciate you also saying that open the can of worms and then hand off the worms to the experts. Yep. You yep. know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've always, and I hate to be like, I sound like Debbie Downer here, but, um, I, you know, when we talk about the pandemic, you know, back even last April, well, not April, I think we were still in denial in April, but <laughs> by by the fall, you know, and, and then in January, people were talking about, oh, my gosh, look at the devastation that, that the pandemic is causing. Mm-hmm. And, and I was thinking, like, no, it didn't cause this. It just exposed. This has always been here. Like, and, and for mm-hmm. those of us who have been in mental health, we've known it all these years. But the pandemic finally exposed it. Now, that's not to say that the pandemic is not causing, tra- it is traumatizing us, but that's going to play out for years. And, you know, I, I just, you know, for people that think like, ah, oh, we're going to get vaccines and we're going to open schools and we're going to go back to life the way it was. I, man, I just, I just don't see it playing out that way. And, and I think art and creativity, you know, creative expression is like such a beautiful arena in, for, in, in which we can identify and process all of that emotion. Well, as a former assistant principal, that's literally driven kids again, not to be Debbie Downer, but who's literally, I mean, scooped up kids. South real quick. I know, I know. I'm like, but I have scooped up kids and put them in a van and this sounds horrible, Um, (laughs) but taking them to a mental health facility to prevent a suicide, you know, and this is not new. None of this is new. It's, it's exactly what you said that we've exposed something We've exposed a lot in education. We've we've exposed some inequities, um, some all kinds of things. And my hope is that there's a silver lining and that we start talking about these things and that we move forward in a way that's more productive and meaningful. And like you said, that we we take the stigma out of mental health issues. Yeah. I, I how this is completely off topic, but how would you suggest that we as a as a educational community start to take that stigma out and start to really move forward and take care of our community and our kids in a way that's that's more powerful well i think the way that that we take the stigma away is that we talk right and and not just talk we talk and do so um you know um 
Look, I, you know, I'm, I'm an empiricist, right? I've got a PhD. I'm a social scientist. I get the, 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 the value of data and, and hard science. Um, but for so long, you know, all it's been is like, you know, like we got to keep up with the Chinese, we got to math and sciences and we, you know, we got to produce, you know, and I, okay, fine. Now I think we need to start talking about mental health. Like what good is it going to do the country collectively? What good is it going to do the education system to, to evolve into a machine that produce scientists that are depressed and mm -hmm. anxious and freaked out and overwhelmed? I mean, it's, I don't see the value. So I think what to, to the question about how do we decrease stigma is we start acknowledging the need for mental health, you know, um, and we saw this with, with physical health starting back in the 70s, you know, with the obesity epidemic and nutrition and sugar. And, uh, and, and so schools went through a, a long process uh, of, um, you know, offering healthier options, you know, maybe removing soda machines and putting, uh, you know, bottled water in vending machines, things like that. That's great. That's great. I would love to see the same thing happen with mental health where social and emotional learning was as standard a curricula as math, science, art, music, physical education, that it was part of that. So I think that. You know, I mean, to kind of pull the conversation, I mean, still still in that same vein, but to kind of pull it back through, mm -hmm. um, you know, just going with that, what kind of suggestions would you give a teacher for implementing journaling and things like that? I know that me personally, there's a lot of like different types of prompts that I use, you know, on a, on a regular basis where I'm like, okay, write a list, right? Mm -hmm. You know, draw, draw this or draw, you know, tell me about somebody who's important to you or, you know, that kind of thing. That becomes yeah. our, you know, get you in the class, get you thinking and just kind of acting on stuff, but also know, knowing and understanding that journaling isn't just, I have to write my deep, deepest, darkest fears, or I have to write my, you know, my, my goals or aspirations, or it can mm -hmm. be a grocery list. I mean, one of my lists was three things you have to do and three things that you want to do. Oh, I'm like, it could be whatever you want it to be. Or, you know, and of course, you know, maybe one of them is study for a test. Maybe one of them's, you know, this or that. Mm -hmm. And so that way the kids are just like, oh, well, I could totally be super crazy with what I want to do. And then, you know, really have to focus on what I have to do. Mm -hmm. so, and sometimes I do that over a weekend. So I'll do that like on a Friday and then they'll come back on Monday and be like, yeah, I did that. So it kind That's of awesome. Out. Yeah, I, I love think that. You, you have to make it so that it's an easy entry point so then mm -hmm. it grows. And that's the thing. I mean, you, one of your questions was about creative expression and writing throughout your adult years. I think for for a lot of us artists, I, you know, I really wasn't a journaler, I guess, as a kid. Maybe I was and I didn't realize it. But as an adult, my journaling, you have to do what fits for you. And I think that that's the, the key to introducing it in the classroom is giving kids lots of different ways of journaling. Yeah. You know, like when I look at your, your journals, Adam, it looks like they're a lot of writing. Like I'm guessing you use line paper. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, and I'm going to ask you about your pins here in a minute, but uh, yeah. um, on one sec, I'm going to get them. Hang on one sec. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I had to get all my goods. Hang on. <laughs> no, no. 
technical difficulties. All right, I'm back. I'm back. Okay. It's all good. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so you, I think the other piece of it is you, you have to not only find what works for kids, but they also have to find the things they like to work with. Mm -hmm. I, Absolutely. I have a, you know, I have a favorite journal. Um, they're little, they, mm -hmm. they, they go everywhere with me. I have it with portable. me all the time. They're very portable. Um, and if you were to look at my journals, they, they get, they grow. Um, because I stuff them with collage and fodder and all kinds of paper and my kids, my kids, my three children draw with me in my journals. So they're kind of um, a time capsule almost for yeah. me when I go back and look at them. So my journals look incredibly different than Matt's. Matt has, I have a giant like backpack, but backpack size journal that <laughs> I'm one of those I'm one of those kids you know I was that kid who laid out on the floor and played video games so I love to just spread out and I have this big mm. journal and my kids our three kids come come up and they're able to work in the journal while I'm working on the journal too so it's kind of this community space space in a way uh -huh. and so you know they'll sometimes I'll look through it and I'll be like oh like that little but when I look at what you're doing and look what I'm doing, I'm like, that would never work for me as a creative. Like that just isn't my style. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. I loved our discussion in the chat about pins because I also have favorite pins. So you have a bit of a um, well, yeah, I like to, I like pins. Yeah. Um, so I'm super excited for you to tell us a little bit about your journal and your tools that you like to use. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, thanks, man. That's a great question. <laughs> I, um, so as far as journals, you know, I, um, I used to, I was, hold on, uh, let's see. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Um, I used to be a, a composition book guy, and it was just straight, you know, line mm -hmm. stuff that I would write in. And I've got like 10, 10 years worth of this. Um, and, and that was fine. Um, and then um, recently I've got, I, I used this, this journal now. This is, it's... Uh, uh, noble note uh, life and uh, here let me go it's to this pretty camera. it is it really is and so let me show you that I don't know if we can let this focus in here but you can see that it's it's got the sort of the square paper there like that mm -hmm. so here's the deal and and I this is just a writing journal you can see on my chicken scratch there but um, this is what the, the creative piece of of writing for me and I'm I'm self-conscious here but so th this part of what i do is practice my my penmanship that's beautiful nice oh thank you thank no you. I, wife, I, well i was going to ask you if you write in cursive or if you do print because um, well, yeah. stream of consciousness you know yeah my wife is an occupational therapist and so she's always doing like fine motor stuff right uh-huh and, and so so these like things, exercises like that are really just about me understanding my fine motor skills, but, but to, to print effectively, you have to slow down, you know, uh -huh. you, you can't, you can't race and, and I'm real like type A and I'm anxious and that, that my PTSD stuff, it kicks in and I, I start rushing through life. And when I sit down at my journal and I force myself to, to write a cursive letter, you know, I have to slow down. And so just the, the, the physiological practice itself is good for me psychologically. And then um, this is getting kind of deep, but um, 
you know, when, when, when you write a letter, when you print a letter like calligraphy or any standard American cursive or standard American print, it's supposed to look a certain way. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a definition like this is what an A looks like. And then we start, you know, you get writing fast and it doesn't really look like what the standard is. And so when you go back and, and practice, uh, you know, do that, like the exercises, like I showed you, let me see if I can find another example here real quick. Um, this, you know, when you do that stuff, it forces you to, to, to recalibrate your fine motor plan, right? Um, and so you, you're saying like, nope, you're not going to do this. You're going to do this. And I think psychologically, um, I, I may be stretching it here, but I think we live our lives in, in ways that um, we rationalize a lot of things. You know, like we should do certain things. I should eat a certain way. I should take care of my body a certain way. I should drive a certain way. I should manage my money a certain way. I should love other people a certain way. And I say should best practice for my body is to treat it a certain way. Best practice for me driving my car is to drive it a certain way. But, you know, you get in a hurry and you say, ah, screw that guy, I'm going to cut him off in traffic. Well, I know you're my wife, but I'm not going to respect you right now, you know? And we, we, we lose the motor plan of what it looks like to steward our lives appropriately, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And so by going back and practicing cursive and practicing handwriting and forcing myself to go back into the motor plan, I think about my life and what are the areas where I'm just rushing through my life and doing a sloppy job and where do I need to slow down and say, no, this is what you eat. Nope. This is how you love people. Nope. This is how you drive, you know? Um, so anyway, that that's part of the psychological process of it for me. No, I mean, I think, well, two, two things. One, looking at your, at your journal that you just had with all the cursive started to make me think about um, actually in like one of the classes that you take when you're in college in art is, is calligraphy. Yes. Uh, You know, the art of calligraphy and and how there is an actual. It's intense. It it is. Um, It's awesome. Our professor, our professor was intense, but it it was fantastic. And then, and then the other thing I was thinking about, you know, you'd had, had hit on it several times is the idea of empathy. And, you know, the, Mm -hmm. when you are making, I've seen this with my own students, when they are making stuff, some of the projects we've made have been for other people. When you are making something for someone else, you tend to really slow down. You tend to Mm -hmm. really start thinking more about others first, because, you know, you're trying to make it for someone and, you know, you want it to look good because it's for them. Um, and it's so thinking about that kind of tied, tied together. I was, yeah. that's where I was starting to think about that. Well, just the slowing down in general. And even I think in the chat, you said that you use a fountain pen. I do. I have several actually. Um, they're I, hard to use. They are. They really <laughs> are. They're messy and you know, uh, yep. Yep. Uh, so yeah, speaking of pens, let me, let me show you my, my, my favorite. Th- this is my, my, pen holder right here. This is my favorite collection Ooh. of pens. And so those are, those are fountain pen. This here on the end, is it actually an inkwell? Um, That's cool. It looks yeah, like this, it's like a, yeah, that is and amazing. So, and they're different colors. Um, but this one, it's called a Visconti and it's one of my favorites because it's got a, uh, a real flexible nib. And so you can press down and get wider strokes and, uh, that's a lot of fun. And, um, um, 
you know, just all kinds of different, um, again, feels and they flow and the way the ink interacts with the paper. It's for me, I just really, I love watching how, um, sorry, hold on, let me get to a clear camera there. There we go. I love watching how, when you apply pressure, what is the ink doing with the paper? How much bleed is it, you know, is there? Um, and then, um, you know, fine lines, wide lines, um, how does the pen perform? How much ink, uh, how much will a, will a well of ink carry through a page, a page and a half, two pages, you know? I don't know you're why, but I, art, no, you're no, speaking it definitely language. is. I was thinking about watercolor say, paper yeah. versus, you know, uh, drawing paper versus. Yeah. I mean, because yeah, we get really nerdy about weights of paper, um, mm. just how watercolor how, pencils the, the versus certain absorption of paper. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you, you can tell we're getting excited. We're talking You're over each other. You're speaking our language. I know. Awesome. Yeah, we get excited. We start talking over each other. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> now we repeat each other, and then that's even nice. you know. You're 19. <laughs> this is what it looks like. <laughs> um, I, you know. Adam, something that you haven't said, and I know that if people were to read your story or to maybe hear one of your mo motivational speeches, um, mm -hmm. your affinity for teachers is something really mm. special. And it, yeah. it, I mean, I have cried and I will probably start crying if you tell the story, but I would love you to tell why you have this deep affinity for educators. Yeah, oh, yeah, thank you. I'd be honored to, you know, um, I, um, by the time I was in high school, I was living with a family that wasn't my family. And I was really good at uh, being a chameleon, I could fit in with any group, any, any peer group, you know, the stoners, the nerds, the jocks, the whoever, the preps, right, I could fit in. But that was just my survival mechanism, you know, uh, but deep inside, man, I was depressed, I was overwhelmed, and it was just way too, um, I don't know what the word is, but just not able to process any of that and and um, probably are just a product of the time, you know. Uh, so um, when I was, when I graduated high school, uh, really that was the low point of my life. I ended up in San Antonio. I was working as a dishwasher um, at a fast food restaurant and um, really depressed and all alone and um, struggling and using drugs again and just felt like, I wasn't suicidal, but I remember thinking like, man, I'm, I'm 19 years old and I've got another, what, 60 years of this thing to put up with. What's the point, you know? And um, I remember coming home from work one morning. It was like 3 a.m. I'd closed the restaurant and I was really, really depressed and really overwhelmed. And so back to journaling, um, I thought I need to write. I need, I need to get some thoughts out. And I remember coming to, I, I lived in this little shack behind a house and uh, just one room with a little shower in it. And um I didn't have much. I had uh, a sleeping bag, a pillow. I had a suitcase with some clothes in it, and I had a box of journals. And, you know, again, journaling, is, it's, that was my life. It was my prized possession. So I remember coming home from work one morning, 3 a.m., really depressed, overwhelmed, thinking I need to write. And I pulled this, this journal out from back then, and I found these two pieces of paper in it. Um, and I'll show you what they were. Uh, I still have them all. These, they were letters that had been written to me by two of my teachers, and you'll see the date on that is May 23rd, 1985. That was when I graduated from high school. Um, it says, Dear Love. Does it dear, say uh, actually, it says, Dear Lou. So my Lou, name, okay. Yeah, my name is Adam <laughs> Lewis Signs, and, and I used to be Lou. I used to go by Lou. Uh, and so that was one, and then here's the other one that you'll see was written to Lou. Uh, yeah. 
And so these were two letters. One was written to me by, uh, from, by, by her name was Joella Exley. She was my, my English teacher, my senior year in high school. And one was Polly McRoberts, who was my creative writing teacher in high school. And basically those letters said, uh, you know, hey, you know, you're an amazing student. We've loved you and we expect great, great things from you. And um, the, the, those words just haunted me, you know, because I thought like, I know, I know who I am. You know, I'm a 19 year old punk. I'm, I'm using drugs. I'm working as a dishwasher. I've got no hope. I've got no future. I've got no family. I've got no money. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Um, and this is, this is the, my lot in life, you know. But here were these two women, you know, for whom I had tremendous respect because of who they were as human beings, not just as teachers, but as human beings that were disagreeing with me. And I couldn't blow them off. I couldn't just say, well, you're wrong and I'm right, because I knew they wouldn't have written those words if they didn't absolutely believe it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it, it was, you know, the, the English major term is psychomachia. You know, I had this internal struggle, like, who's right? I think I know who I am, but here are these two women saying something different. So then in my mind, you know, I thought, here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to create a test that I know I'm going to fail. And once I fail this test, that's all the proof that I need to, to say to these two women, like Miss McRoberts, Miss Exley, that was really kind. That was really sweet. But you were wrong. I had you fooled, right? Here's the test. I'm going to try to get into college. I have no idea how you do that. Neither of my parents went to college. I've got no money. I'm not smart enough. I'm not college material. But once I try that and fail, then I could just put those letters aside and say, thank you, but no. You know, so um, I remember taking a bus to UTSA, the University of Texas at San Antonio, and and my very first experience on a college campus was a panic attack, Mm. thinking, um, I don't belong here. I'm not college material. I'm never going to make it. I'm not smart enough. You know, what brown kids do you know that got college degrees? You're out of your league. You're out of your element, you know, Um, and um, I just went up to the first kid I saw with a backpack and I said, are you a student? And he said, yep. And I said, man, how do you do this? How do you even get in? And he showed me, you know, go to that building, talk to these people. And um, I met some amazing administrators there that walked me through every step of the, they just basically case managed me through the admission process. And, uh, you know, I remember that that was probably in the spring. And then I remember that summer, it was really hot in August. And I was working back in the kitchen in the dish, uh, the dishwashing area. And my manager came and he said, hey, you got a letter from UTSA here. And I remember I said, what's UTSA? And he said, said, the University of Texas at San Antonio, Einstein. And and I remember like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I applied. And then I thought, oh, this is the flush letter. This is where you open it up and says, dear Mr. Science, we sincerely regret to inform you, right? Uh, But I opened it up and I was accepted. I couldn't believe it, you know. Um, And then I just started going, you know, I took one class, my first class was an introduction to English, you know, and I thought, man, if I have any hope of passing a college course, it's got to be this one, because English was always my favorite subject. So I passed it. And then uh, for the first time in my life, I started thinking like, I wasn't saying Miss McRoberts and Miss Exley were right about me. I was just saying, maybe I just cracked the door open to the possibility, maybe they were right, and maybe you were wrong. And so on the one hand, on the other hand, this could have been a clerical error, this course that I passed. Maybe it was somebody else's A, you know, I should probably take another course. So I took another one that spring and I passed it. Kept going back a little at a time. And then just before I turned 27 years old, I, I graduated with my undergraduate degree in English. Never thought I was going to get a college degree. Never thought I was college material. And finally, when I was in my late 20s, I looked back and I realized that those teachers, man, they, they, um, 
they could see something in me that I couldn't see in myself. And the, the reason that I'm so grateful to teachers now is that um, of all the things that I do as a psychologist, whether it's at the university or my clinic, whatever it might be, uh, working with educators, man, it's absolutely the sprinkles on my cupcake. And I always say that that my my calling as a psychologist is to work with educators to make sure that 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 I can, you know, there were there were women that 35 years ago could have looked at a kid like me and said, man, how did he end up here in this shape? How did he end up in my classroom? You know, but by God's grace, they they just said, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure this kid has everything he needs to be successful. And now my calling is to work with educators and say, man, by God's grace, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that teachers are as relationally successful with their kids as my students were, or my teachers were with me. So that's why my heart is for education and for teachers is because, you know, some people have a mom, a dad, an aunt, an uncle, a grandma, a neighbor. I had teachers, you know, I, I had men and women that uh, they could have said they don't they don't pay me enough to put up with a kid like this. And, and they would have been exactly right. But um, by God's grace, man, they said, if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? And it changed my life. And I'm crying. Cute <laughs> <laughs> tears. Um, well, I mean. I think that Matt and I have both had experiences where we have kids come back many years later mm -hmm. and tell us stories where we had maybe not really an understanding of impact. You know, yeah, I, sure. I have, I have a kiddo. He's not a kiddo anymore. He's, He's a, a dad of He's three. A dad of He's three got kids. a PhD. <laughs> um, and I think of him, you know, I'm so proud of him. But, mm, awesome. you know, he calls me his art mom. And, wow. and that's why we do what we do. You yeah. know, that's it. That's it. Um, wow, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I I I don't know how you top that, but I mean I I can't thank you enough for mm -hmm. coming on here and talking with us. Yeah, I don't. I mean, normally we ask the uh, last question, uh, which is you know give words of wisdom and uh, advice, it, but that was just so gorgeous that there's there's <laughs> I don't know. We'll we'll let you decide. Would you like to give some last bits of wisdom to teachers as as you leave the show today? Uh, you know, I don't have any wisdom for teachers. I have um, <laughs> I have words of gratitude and words of encouragement. I just want you to know, teachers, that that my life is living proof that what you do matters. I've talked to educators across the country this year, and 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 I ask them how they feel, and and I hear uh, discouraged. Um, um, I hear, um, you know, uh, I feel um, isolated. I feel alone. I feel powerless. I feel ineffective, um, and understandably, understandably. Um, but I would I would argue that not only is my life living proof that what you do matters, I would say that in a year like this where you feel powerless and ineffective and and not on the top of your game, you're probably making more of a difference now than than you ever could have imagined. Your your contribution, and when I say contribution, I mean did you show up today? And if you showed up today, you're killing it in a year like this. You're killing it, and I just think you know in 20 years. There may be kids, you know, that are sitting around over coffee or a beer and they're going to say, man, my, my senior year, it, it, it was just, it sucked. We had to do everything online and, you know, my parents were struggling and there was no money. And, and I remember that year, I mean, there was an election and there were all these murders and it was just horrible, horrible, horrible. But I had a teacher and I'll tell you what, man, every day that teacher logged on, she just logged on and she showed up, he showed up. And, and that was the 
most stable thing I had. And I remember one, and I would never even look at the camera. Well, I remember one day that it was a bad day and, and I was just sitting there in my room and that teacher was talking and, and that teacher said, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And those words just haunted me, you know, and I thought about it and I thought about it, you know, and then that's when I decided, that's when I decided. That's happening right now. That teachers, that's happening right now. We we don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know uh, with with which students. It may be years before we find out, but it's happening. So just be encouraged. Just know that that uh, you just showing up is a grand slam, and um, just your consistency and your presence means so much to so so many kids. Uh, your your labor is not in vain. Wow. Uh oh. I've just had a hard week. <laughs> I guess that's what you can call it. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, I needed this this Adam, morning. <laughs> thank you so much again. Um, we are so honored and privileged to have connected with you and connect with you this way. Um, and we just we can't thank you enough for hosting the chat and now um, being on this podcast with us today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, and, and I appreciate all the work that you're doing to foster, encourage creativity in students and in adults, so, um, and keep up the good work. Thank you, Adam. Woo! There's another one. We'll chalk it up as another tearjerker, but all in a good way. Yeah, it, I, you know, I try to keep it together, but when people tell me stories like that, I just, I don't, I Well, it, it's that positivity it's that thing that keeps you going is you know we we do get down as teachers and to hear that just reaffirms the why the, the why exactly. yeah i i just i for adam to just do this with us is i, I still am kind of like wow He's, he's a big deal. He is. I, I mean, I think about, you know, when that was when I first saw him speak and that was 2017. Yeah. And I, I had no idea. So he has, he has a lot of resources. He has um, books. He has, um, you know, all kinds of things. I, he, he's just an amazing all around human being too. Mm -hmm. So I hope that everybody will go check him out and check out his website and see what he's all about. Hopefully follow him on Twitter. Um, because he is the type of person that you will learn things from oh my continuously. Yeah. Yeah. Hope all right. Enjoy it. And uh, <laughs> we'll talk with you all later. All right. Bye. Hey, you know what? I found another one. Another one. Another happy teacher moment. You can never have too many happy things. That's true. Yeah. So this one is also on Instagram and it's Alyssa Whetstone Art at Alyssa Whetstone Art. And she says she received the, and it's a picture of the sweet little letter, um, received the sweetest full page note today. She dropped it off during another class to give it to me. And I could hardly wait to sit down and read it. Happy Friday. It is so precious. Oh, thank you, Alyssa, for sharing. Thank you for sharing your happy teacher moments. And uh, we can't wait to share more. Thanks. If you've been listening for a while, then you know that we are always looking for new ideas and inspirations. 
So if you have any suggestions, comments, or info to share with your peers, find us on Twitter and Facebook or through our partner with Davis Publications at davisart.com.